I want to read the passage this morning, beginning in Philippians 4, verse 15. And I want to talk about five reasons as to why Christians should be generous, why we should be generous Christians in our giving. The Apostle Paul, in this last uh, text of, of the book, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which increases to your account. But I received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to the God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. First thing I want you to see this morning is that generous giving is a blessing to others. Generous giving is a blessing to others. In verses 15 and 16, Paul is writing to the Philippians to thank them for their contributions to his ministry as he served as a missionary. At the time of his writing, Paul is currently in prison, but 10 years prior to that, uh, he had left Philippi and gone to Thessalonica to begin to preach the church, uh, to preach the gospel and to plant a church. But Thessalonica was a much larger city. It had much more money. And yet these Philippians who were, who were very poor, in spite of their poverty, they sent their resources to Paul so that he could continue to preach the gospel to the people of Thessalonica who desperately needed to hear it. Many of those people in Philippi, they could not personally go to Thessalonica, and yet they were committed to spreading the gospel, and so they sent money through Epaphroditus so that Paul could continue his ministry. Now, that had begun some 10 years prior, but Paul makes it obvious from the passage that they had given. It wasn't a one-time gift. They had given through the years, and they had re revived their giving, verse 10 tells us, as well. Notice in verse 15, he, he adds this phrase, no church share with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. When he first went to Thessalonica, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. It's interesting that he uses banking terms such as giving and receiving uh, when he's talking about money. And it's, it's very obvious from the context of the passage that, that the Apostle Paul kept very good records uh, he kept very good records of the gifts he received as a means of accountability. But what I want you to see is, is that 10 years after their first gift, Paul still remembered their generosity. And as he ends this wonderful book, you know, if I were writing a letter to someone, uh, the end might be something that, that I would deem to be very important. It's my parting words. I want you to be able to remember this. I want you to hear me clearly what I'm saying because this is the last thing I'm saying to you. I would say that that's going to be something very important. Notice what was important to Paul. His, what was important to Paul was that he wanted to leave them with a, uh, with a reminder of his gratitude for how they cared for him. Their giving was and continued to be a blessing to him and a blessing to others. 
Listen, I want to say to you this morning as one of your pastors that your generous giving is a blessing to others. You may not always see that. You may not even recognize it. Those who are blessed by your generous giving may not even know who to thank. When there's an individual or a family in our church who's in a difficult financial strait and we're able to help them with a, with a benevolence need, we're able to do that because of your, your generosity. That money doesn't just come from thin air. We're able to do that because of, of the faithfulness of our, of our congregation to give. I cannot tell you how many times this church has been a, a blessing to others because of the generosity of our members. When the youth go to camp, that's partially because of the commitment of our members to give tithes and offerings. Even as, a, even as a church, we try to be a blessing outside of our congregation. In the year 2018, for example, we gave uh, well over $200,000 for missions and evangelism. Over 13% of our total receipts to missions and evangelism. Because we don't want to be just a blessing to our congregation, but we also want to be a blessing to our community and to the nations. And, and notice how this blessing is to occur. It's to be done consistently. He says in verse 16 that, that they gave more than once and now they're giving again. Now this is to him as a missionary, but the same is to be true in our giving to the Lord's work here in the local church. In 1 Corinthians, uh, the, the, gospel, or the, the, the letter of 1 Corinthians, the gospel tells us that, that we're to give on the first day of the week. Uh, in other words, it's to be regular and consistent. It's to be intentional. It's not just to be whenever there's a cause that I feel good about. It's, no, it's to be consistent. And there are multiple reasons why that is the case, but I think the scripture is clear that for starters, God wants our first fruits rather than what's left over. God wants our first fruits rather than what's left over. For one thing, there will seldom be anything left over. Martin Lloyd-Jones told the story of a farmer who walked into his kitchen one day and with great joy he announced to his wife that their finest cow had just given birth to twins. One brown cow, one white cow. And, and he said to his wife that, he said, I feel led to dedicate one of these cows to the Lord so we'll bring them up together and when they're at a marketable age, we'll sell them and we'll keep the proceeds from one of the cows and we'll donate the proceeds from the other cow to the Lord's work. Well, his wife went straight to the heart of the issue and, he, and she said, well, which cow is the Lord's cow? Is it the brown cow or the, or the, or the white one? He replied, well, there's no, there's no need to worry about it right now since we'll raise them together. A few months later, he entered that same kitchen only with a somber look on his face. His wife said, why do you look so sad? To which he replied, I have bad news. The Lord's cow died. Why is it always the Lord's cow that dies? It's because that's what happens when we're not intentional to give on the front end. And from a practical standpoint, even as a church, uh, it's important throughout the year to us because we cannot spend what we do not have. And so if we don't receive money throughout the year, we, we have to cut back on ministries. We, we can't spend our way into a hole throughout the year with the presumption that we'll, that we'll catch up in December because we're committed to being good stewards of, of the resources that God entrusts to us. And so uh, we can't dig ourselves tens and tens of thousands of dollars in the hole with the hopes that we'll make it up because what happens if we don't make it up? And so we have to be wise stewards. Um, generous giving is a blessing to others. Second thing I want you to see is that generous giving helps keep our priorities in order. 
Helps keep our priorities in order. Uh, look in verse 17. He, he writes, not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul was grateful for their past gifts and their present gift. In verse 18, he goes on to say that he's amply supplied. He has everything now that he needs. So why is he rejoicing? He makes it very clear that his primary reason that he desired for them to give was not so that he himself would prosper, but so that the profit would be credited to their spiritual account. To their spiritual account. In other words, God takes, uh, God takes notice when we give sacrificially. Our sacrificial giving does not escape his attention. I think there are a couple of ways in which our generosity profits us spiritually. For starters, when we give generously for God's causes, we're keeping our priorities in place by storing up treasures in heaven. What did Jesus say? He said, he said do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but instead you store up treasures for yourselves in heaven where moth and rust uh, do not corrupt and where the thieves can't break through and steal. In other words, because we're building up treasures in heaven, I believe that's why Jesus taught that it's more blessed to give than to receive. You see, when we give of that which is temporal, we're building up rewards in the eternal. And when we do that, we're helping to keep our priorities in proper order by reminding ourselves this world's not all there is. Uh, eternity will be much longer than the 70, 80, 90, if we're fortunate, 100 years that we live on this earth. You know, I, I, I've thought about that phrase, storing up treasures in heaven, and, and I'm not exactly sure what all that encompasses, what all that entails. But I believe that at least part of it will be realized when we meet those people in heaven who are there, humanly speaking, because God has used the generosity of his children for them to hear the gospel message. I hope to meet people in heaven one day who say, I first heard the gospel as a child during vacation Bible school at Ninth and O Baptist Church. I believe we'll meet people in heaven one day who say, I was discipled and my walk with the Lord was strengthened through the ministry of that church. I want to meet people who say, I raised my children in that church and they grew up serving the Lord. And part of that is because of the generosity of others which allowed those ministries to exist. How awesome and incredible would it be to hear people say, I'm in heaven today, uh, humanly speaking, because a mission team from Ninth and Old Baptist Church came to my country and shared the gospel with me. And even though there was only a handful of those people who were actually able to come, there were many who helped make it possible. When we give generously to the Lord's work, we're keeping our priorities in order because we're storing up treasures in heaven. But I believe there's a second way that it can keep our priorities in order because not only does it help us to store up treasures in heaven, it also helps to strengthen our faith in the present. You see, giving is a, is a marker of spiritual maturity. A person can give and not be a Christian not be a disciple of Christ, but it's hard to be a mature disciple of Christ and never, never give because it's an issue of faith because the Lord commands us to be generous because that's one way in which we learn to trust him for our needs and when he does meet those needs, then our faith is strengthened. Jesus understood this. 
He understood how much of a struggle the handling of money would be for so many people. Do you realize that uh, 25% of the teachings of Jesus had to do with money? People in this day probably would, when he, when, he, when he started to teach, oh no, here comes Jesus preaching again. It's going to be about money. Because 25% of, the, of his preaching in the New Testament had something to do with money. He did not shy away from it because he understood that how we handle our money is an indicator of our spiritual walk because it demonstrates where our priorities lie. The third thing I want you to see this morning is that generous giving is also an act of worship. It's an act of worship. Paul says in verse 18 that our giving is like a fragrant aroma. An acceptable sacrifice is pleasing to God. Now, if you've read through the Old Testament, that that phrase fragrant aroma probably uh, comes to your mind because that's really an Old Testament um, way of of using phrases like that because it, it, it was a way of showing that something was pleasing to God. For example, the people would make burnt offerings of animals. And the Bible would say that that offering was pleasing to God. It was a sweet-smelling aroma. Uh, it's like it would rise up. The smell of that offering would rise up to the nostrils of God. And God would say, that is sweet. I like that smell. Say, what in the world? Why would, why would he like the smell of a, of a burning, dead animal? It's because that animal was a sacrifice for those who gave it. They couldn't eat it. It was a sign of acknowledging that God owns everything and that he had provided that animal to them to begin with. The reason they had that animal was because of God's goodness to them. Psalm 24 verse 1 reminds us that the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. He wants us to give to him as a demonstration of our love for him and as a reminder that all that we have comes as a gift from him and therefore we can trust him to meet our needs. And so in this verse, Paul specifically is saying that when we give sacrificially of our finances, it's like that sweet-smelling sacrifice to the nostrils of God. It's an act of worship. Now, humanly speaking, we often forget that. I do. And in fact, sometimes it appears that our money goes to seemingly very mundane things. Yes, your generous giving goes to support missionaries. It, it goes to help teach our children. Those are things that we're all in favor of, that we're all excited about. But it also goes to things that are pretty mundane, things that we never really think much about, things like keeping our elevator in good working condition. It, it costs about $2,500 a year to do that. And most of us never even consider it until we or someone that we love needs it. Get this, we'll spend another $1,700 annually on garbage pickup. Garbage. You say, why, why do we have so much garbage? Because we're Baptist. <laughs> because where there's Baptist, there's food. And where there's food, there's trash. And so we'll spend $1,700 to keep this building from, from filling up with garbage. We'll spend between fifty dollars and $55,000 this year on our LG&E bill. You think that's an enormous amount, not for a 55,000 square foot facility. You do the math on the square footage of your home and you'll find that, that the church has to pay the same amount per square foot that you pay on, on your home. But what I want you to see this morning is that whether it's going to support something as exciting as a youth mission trip or a vacation Bible school, or whether it goes to support something that's as mundane as garbage pickup, first and foremost is to be an act of worship. 
Because it's being spent to build up the body of believers and to take the gospel message to the world. Our giving is an act of worship. Now, it's not a given that it's an act of worship. Our giving can be a stench in the nostrils of God. For example, if we give out of a sense of guilt or we're, we think we can buy God's favor, there are those who think if I give enough money, God will allow me into heaven. Good luck with that, friend. That's not what the scriptures teach. If a person is giving with those impure motives, that's not worship. If we give with the attitude of let me just see how much, how little I can give and get by with it, God sees that. And so it's not just even about the bottom line. It's about the sacrifice. For example, a small gift from someone who has very little may be more pleasing to the Lord than what I would see as a large gift from someone who can give it and not ever miss it. Listen, if you, if you can give to the Lord's work and never miss it, you're probably not giving enough. It, it ought to stretch us. But when we give out of a desire to obey the God that we love and as a sign of gratitude for all he's blessed us with, that's an aroma that smells sweet to the nostrils of God. And humanly speaking, it must be, may be a much smaller gift than someone else gives. The Bible talks about the widow's might. She gave all she had. It wasn't much, but it was all she had. And Jesus, Jesus honored her for that. On the other hand, when we fail to give generously, it's a sign that we need to grow in our spiritual maturity. You say, no, I just need to grow in my income. I don't, I don't make enough money. Generally speaking, that's not true for most people. Let me give you a couple of statistics. Some of you hate statistics. Some of you are like me. You love statistics. Uh, I'm a math guy. And so let me, let me put this in perspective. Most of us remember or at least understand from our history books what life was like during the Great Depression. There are some in this room who remember it firsthand. Most of us would agree that we're better off than the average person during the Great Depression. Christians today on average give 2.5% of their income to churches. During the Great Depression, they gave 3.3%. Think about that. We give less today to the local church than, than Christians did during the Great Depression. Unless we be tempted to think it's just because those who make little don't give, let me throw out a statistic for those who are, who are wealthier in our country. Only 1% of those with incomes over $75,000 a year give a tithe of 10% or more of their income. Only 1%. The word tithe, for those of you who may not be aware of that, of that phrase, means one-tenth. And, and I believe that's what the scripture teaches that, sh that should be the minimum that we strive for as Christians if we truly believe that it's uh, more blessed to give than to receive. But yet only about 5% of Americans actually tithe. I would suggest this morning that in most churches, a lack of generosity has more to do with how much we have than how little we have. Amazingly, the more we have, the more we tend to want to hang on to it. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. That's our temptation. And in one sense, it, 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 it can even be argued that most Christians and most churches don't have a giving problem. They have a worship problem because we fail to see it as an act of worship. It's interesting that a Lifeway survey found that, that those who attend church one or two times per month are twice as likely to say that it's hard for them to give than those who attend church at least once a week. Let me read that again. That's a little confusing. 
those who attend church one or two times per month are twice as likely to say that it's hard to give than those who attend at least once a week. I was talking to my 15-year-old son this past week about that, and I asked him why he thought that might be. I mean, is it, is it that those who attend church regularly more often just happen to be the ones who can afford to, to tithe? I mean, I guess theoretically that's possible. And my son looked at me and said, well, Dad, I assume it's because if you're not committed enough to your faith to, to attend church regularly, you won't be committed enough to give regularly. And you see, it's not rocket science. There's a correlation. Both our attendance and our giving are often directly related to our spiritual maturity, and both of those things are to be done in acts of worship. Fourth thing I want you to see this morning from the text is that generous giving comes with a promise. God doesn't just say give and then, and then you're out there on your own. God actually says that there is a promise that goes along with it. It's a verse that we often quote. Uh, many of us may have it uh, on our wall or on our refrigerator. It's a promise that we often claim. That, claim that it says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Folks, that's not a promise from me as a pastor. That's not even a promise from the Apostle Paul, although he penned the words. He did so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is a promise from God himself. The God who spoke this universe into existence has promised to meet our needs. The God who knows the very number of hairs on our heads, or in some cases, the very number of hairs not on our heads. God is the God whose eyes are on the sparrow. And he's personal. He's personal so that we can say, as the apostle said, my God, not some other God, my God will supply. Our Father sits on heaven's throne. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches, sits at his right hand, making intercession for his children. So when I have a need and I pray, the Lord Jesus is making intercession and taking it to the Father. My God shall supply all your needs. Robert Murray McShane said these words, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear one million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me and he is the God of heaven. You see, the Bible promises that it's that God who will meet our needs. Now let me give you a couple of, uh, couple of clarifications or caveats. First of all, he doesn't promise to meet all our wants and desires. Regardless of what the name and claim and health and wealth, prosperity gospel, whatever you want to call it, it's no gospel at all. He doesn't promise to give us a mansion or a boat. He doesn't promise that if we give to his work that we can name and claim whatever we want. He said he would supply all of our needs. But the second thing I want you to understand is that this promise has to be understood in its proper context. We can't just pull that verse out of its context and, and quote that as a promise uh, a la carte. The context is that Paul is commending them for their generosity to the gospel. In other words, if we're not generous people, the promise doesn't apply to us. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But we must seek first the kingdom of God. And so when we do that, we're giving in faith. And as we give to the Lord's work, we then come to better understand the faithfulness of God because he supplies all of our needs. I can tell you as a personal testimony how, how the Lord has been so gracious to me. I, I said earlier, I've been a Christian for 44 out of 54 years. I got saved at the age of 10 and I joined my local church. And I'm not advocating that we do this 
because I was terrified. I was a very shy child, and so it was, it was a miserable experience for me. But at the day I stood to join the church, the pastor asked me a series of questions publicly. And I don't remember really any of the questions that he asked me except one. I'm 10 years old. He said, Jeff, when you get old enough to have a job, will you commit to this congregation and to the Lord publicly that you will tithe 10% of your income to this church? Well, that seemed like eternity for me. You know, those are like dog years between that time and when I was going to get a job. So I readily said, absolutely. Well, I tell you, when I turned 15 and got my first job in in a pharmacy, um, my parents reminded me of that pledge that I had made. And I'll just be honest. There have been times when it's been easier to give, and there have been times when it was harder to give. There there are times when I've had more. There are times when I had less. I remember when I left the Defense Department and began attending the seminary, working a part-time job my first couple of years, I made 10% of what I made the previous years. I basically made my tithe. And I'm standing here this morning to tell you that the Lord was faithful. And so I unashamedly say to you, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. He will meet your needs. And that leads Paul to praise the Lord, which is my last point this morning. Generous giving leads to doxology. Generous giving leads to doxology. In verse 20, Paul breaks out into praise. He says, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Generally speaking, it was a prayer concerning all the things that he's discussed in this epistle. But it was largely in response to the truth that God supplies the needs of his children when they give. And it causes him to erupt into praise. You see, Paul wanted everything, including their giving, to be used to bring glory to God. And I believe their giving did just that. It brought glory to God. Look down Look down in verse 22. It's the part of the Bible that we often just skip over because Paul is sending greetings from various individuals and groups. We kind of just look at it. He's saying, hello from so-and-so. I don't really have to consider that. But I I want you to notice who these people are. Verse 22 says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. We shouldn't overlook this. He was imprisoned there. This is not insignificant. Caesar, by the way, is not a name, but it's a title for an emperor in Rome, in the Roman Empire. And at that time, the emperor was was Nero. Nero was a wicked man. He had had his own mother murdered. He burned the city of Rome in the AD 60s. And he didn't just burn the city. He burned Christians at the stake and used them to light the sky after the sun went down. And yet, right in his own household, he had servants who were coming to faith in Christ, some of them probably being led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul himself. Their generosity was being used to bring glory to God. And I might add that your generosity is being used to bring glory to God. Let me just tell you this morning, I've been a pastor for 22 years, and and two things I'm consistently reminded of. Number one is that uh, this life on earth is brief, and unless the Lord Jesus returns, there's coming a day when every one of us in this room will die. And the second thing that I'm reminded of is that we won't take our resources with us. We won't. The Bible says that, that, that the two greatest commandments are to love the Lord God and to love our neighbors. When we give as an act of worship, acknowledging our thankfulness and our dependence on the Lord, but also giving 
so that others might know him as well. We are loving God and loving others. My prayer is that when we stand before the Lord, we will do so as a people who gave generously so that others might be there with us. As we close this morning, I want to give several points of application. First of all, if you're a Christian, I want to give you several ways to apply this message. Number one, if you're not currently doing so, the beginning of the year is a wonderful time to make a commitment. I want to challenge you to step out in faith and to begin to give consistently and sacrificially to the Lord's work. Sit down, if you're you're married, sit down with your spouse and, and commit together that you're going to become generous Christians and develop a plan to work toward a tithe. I've never had an individual in 22 years of ministry, I've never had a single individual come back to me and say, Pastor, I wish I'd been less generous. I just haven't. Secondly, you might say, well, Pastor, I I give, but I'm not consistent. You know, when the offering plate is passed, I don't pay my bills with checks. I've heard of a check. I know what one is. Uh, I've seen one once or twice, but I pay all my bills online and, and I give online occasionally. But to be honest, life is hectic and I just get busy and I forget. What would you recommend? If that's true of you, then I would recommend that you consider uh, setting up your giving online to be automatically done on a recurring basis. On a recurring basis so that it's automatically deducted. That's how you pay your bills and the tithe is not a bill but it can help you to be consistent. And, and you realize that people who give on a recurring basis give 42% more on average. And then when that offering plate is passed at the, at the church, when you're here and we're taking up uh, the, the, the offering, you say in your heart, Lord, that money that came out of my bank account, I want to give that as an offering, as an act of worship to you. Take it and use it for your glory. Use the time that we collect, uh, collect the morning's offering as a time to reflect on, on how thankful you are for what the Lord's done for you and, and, to, and to commit that to him as an act of worship. You lean over and you tell your children, if you have, have children, hey, you know, you didn't see dad put anything in the plate, but you just know that I've given already because I'm committed to give sacrificially so that people can hear about Jesus. Thirdly, Make a commitment to pay off credit card debt. Make a commitment to pay off credit card debt. Eight out of 10 people who give to churches have zero credit card debt. That doesn't mean they never use credit cards. It just means that they pay them off each month. They live within their means. On the other hand, one third of Americans not only have credit card debt, but they make the minimum payments each month because the amount they owe is too much for them to handle. One third of Americans. I believe the average credit card debt in America is now somewhere near $16,000. A few years ago, the interest rates were a little higher maybe then, about 18.5% for credit cards. $1,000 on a credit card that you only made a minimum payment each month would take you 22 years to pay off. 22 years to pay off. Make a commitment to pay off your credit card debts. Pastor Drew preached about contentment last week, but our our country is obsessed with convincing us to never be content, but to always want more. And if you need help with that, with your finances, people who can help you to, to know how to get out of debt, we have people in our church who can counsel you on your finances. And then finally this morning, it could be that you're here today and you're not a Christian. Let me just tell you, we don't want your money. That's not what we're after for you. 
That's not the Lord's primary concern. You can give all the money that, that, that you want and still miss heaven. You cannot buy your way into heaven. It's a gift for those who recognize that they're sinners. They've turned from their sins and they place their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died in their place. That's the gift of salvation. Christians give money to help minister to people and also to help share the good news about Jesus. But if you don't love and serve Jesus this morning, the greatest gift that you can give him is the gift of your life. And so in just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to pray. We'll have men here at the front. And if you're not a Christian, but you'd like to know about how to become a Christian, we would invite you to come forward. Come forward and share with one of these men. They'll escort you to a private room and they'll share from God's word how you can know you can be a Christian. It could be that you're here this morning and you're not a member of this church, but you'd like to be in spite of the fact that the pastor, a pastor just preached on money. Uh, and, and so if you'd like to be a member of this church, come forward during that time. Make your intention known. We would love to talk with you about church membership. It could be that right where you're at, as we stand in a moment, that you, you make a commitment fresh to the Lord in 2019. Lord, just like I have goals about growing in my faith through my Bible reading, through my church attendance, I want to grow in my faith by being faithful to give. Lord, would you help me? Let's stand together and pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for all the ways in which you provided for us as individuals and as a congregation in 2018. Father, I thank you personally for the generosity of the men and women who make up the Ninth and Old Baptist Church. And I thank you, Lord, that, they, uh, that many, many of them give sacrificially. Lord, I thank you that you've given in the greatest way possible through the gift of your son who died for our sins. And so, Father, I pray this morning, if there are those who are here who do not know Jesus, that that's their greatest spiritual need is to receive the gift of salvation. Would you work in their hearts today? And if there are those, Father, who need to make other commitments, give them the strength and the courage to do that as well. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.